We are up to Bob. Hey, Angela. Hey, Kim. Um, Hi. So it's been two weeks since the retreat. And back into my work situation, which is really useful for emotional development. Um, I guess this is fourth or fifth better. I'm not sure, like want or ill will. I thought it was initially ill will, but maybe it's just want. So it's like some of my coworkers. They're newer. There's um I guess I'm always surprised at how little knowledge that they have that I would expect them to have. Um you know. My original team had nothing to do with the hiring of these people, which is really neither here nor there. So, well, it's only here and that I had I, no idea what to expect. So I guess I'm coming in with an expectation. I'm coming in with an expectation that they're this level. And it's like, okay, I, I've noticed that. And then it's like, okay, I'll step back further. It's like, okay. And that's like, oh, even below that? And it's like, it's why should I care? I guess it comes back to not, not why should it bother me? I guess I'm getting into this reactivity that comes up. It's like, oh, there's Bob being an asshole all again, or being grumpy or whatever. And it's like Saturday at the retreat, I was talking to someone, and it's like out of the blue, it just came. It's like, I'm supposed to be warm and just radiating, radiating warmth and love, which was a sh shit scary thought. And it's like, sorry, dog. my dog's here. Um, and then I guess the gap, it's like, I'm still keeping people back and the reactivity's there. And it's like, Um, I, after my last interaction with this gentleman, I mean, I was trying to sort of step back and it's like, okay, I didn't have to react that way. It's, it's my expectation that he knew more than he knows. The managers are aware of an issue. So it's like, why I get paid the same. So why i mean there's disapproval and it's like the whole week of the retreat was really just like being right in the face of i'm disapproving of everything you, you know it's like there it's always there ready to go and so i guess the question is how to drill into that get what's there get what's under that and maybe even get what's under that and in the moment I wasn't feeling access to anything. And obviously now is like removed two days from the moment, but whatever, it's still the approach to it or what I could do. Okay. Kim, do you want to start or do you want me to start? 
Yeah, to me, it sounds like there's a lot of frustration and anger going on. And um, that's perfectly fine. I think you maybe find out what your expectations are of yourself in your working environment. What are you expecting of yourself? Are you being maybe too hard on yourself and projecting it outwards or yes. is there some anger is there some <laughs> are there some anger issues that maybe need to be looked at a little bit deeper yeah probably because i mean frustration anger have been big components of my life not just to work thing but i mean just in general yeah i think maybe you need to Maybe it would be good to look at where they came from originally. That could uncover so much for you. When did you first feel frustration? When did you first feel anger? Mm. I mean, this would take you right back into childhood, no, no doubt. Right. I've tried to follow that back and it just sort of fades out. Meaning what it could be is not clear. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, the outside world can teach us a lot and show us in small increments, be it through the people we're in contact with or whatever the environment is, but it can show us in increments just small parts of ourselves that we need to see. So it's almost like, the work environment, the frustration you're feeling at work is showing you exactly what you need to be seeing. Mm -hmm. But if you can follow it maybe a little bit deeper in, it might might shed some light on what's going on on a deeper level within you. That's more what I'm what I'm I'm feeling from you is just the frustration and the anger. But it's always an inside job. You know, you've heard probably heard Angelo say that before, right? Right. <laughs> it's always an inside job. So it's um it's it's a matter of just going deeper into yourself and finding out where it's come from, what triggered it, what started it. Because then you'll find that what's happening at work is just what's happening at work. And it will have far less of an impact on you than what it's happening now at work. Mm -hmm. But it's a matter of following it all the way in, right back to its origin. Yeah, Angela might have something different to say on top of that. You know, I was going to say for myself, one of the biggest challenges I think I had interrelationally, let's just say, in all kinds of interactions with, with humans um, throughout, especially my early life was judgmentalness, like or judgmentalism or just being judgmental. Um, I probably learned at a pretty young age not to do it externally too much. Um, just you get feedback for it, right? Uh, but it didn't mean I'd stop doing it. Maybe I would do it situationally, but I would do it internally. 
Um, and par partially it felt so natural to do that, that I didn't question it. Like it kind of felt like who I was, uh, and partially there was such a momentum to it. I didn't really know what to do about it. Um, it was a sort of natural, it seemed, it seemed to come before I could even recognize it happening. So like the thoughts would come about being judgmental towards someone that I'm just maybe not even in direct contact with just noticing. Um, and part of it is just thoughts arising, but there was a buy into it or an identity an identification with the thoughts. So the question in retrospect now is why was there an identification with those thoughts, right? When there's identification with thoughts, those thoughts continue to keep coming. The identification ultimately was one of, in one sense, self-judgment. It's kind of like what Kim mentioned. It's it's an inside job. And there's if there's anger outward, there's anger inward and to some degree. If there's frustration outward, there's frustration inward to some mm -hmm. degree. And noticing in very small ways how I could judge myself or that self-judgment was built into my own expectations for myself, um, the closer I could see that, the more it sort of softened because I could see, okay, the the job to do here isn't to indulge in judging others and not even saying it. The job to do is to see, well, where's the internal judgment here and why, you know? And I can say, honestly, for me, a lot of it went back to my father, like in retrospect, um, just the, the way he interacted with me made me feel judged or like discounted, I guess I would say for lack of a better way of putting it. And without going into too much detail, it was pretty pervasive growing up. So that feeling of, um, I guess not being enough or not being okay, just got externalized. It was kind of like not being enough. That's yeah. Yeah. Like not enough. Right. But, but you know, and so that's what happens when we, when we judge or when we're impatient or when we're frustrated we're looking at the situation, the person or experience and saying, this is just not okay with me. Right. But why? Like it, who, who, where does that belief is? I mean, is that, is that anything, is there anything objective about that belief at all? Not really. You know, there may be relative truths to it. Sure. But in a certain situation, but overarchingly when it's a almost constant experience internally, it has really nothing objective to it. It's a, it's a, predisposition to judge. Um, and the, for me, just seeing it closer and closer and realizing the tendency, what it was based in, where it was rooted in, where I picked it up, it, it started to make it feel more impersonal. It like really wasn't, it wasn't such a personal thing. It wasn't such a triggering thing is more of like, oh, that's interesting. That, that complex is there. The complex of thought, potentially behavior and really deeply rooted belief that was like overlooked um, or, you know, you know, beliefs that were formed in childhood, let's say, to see that complex and, and closer and closer in, an, in a sort of impersonal way where it didn't feel shameful or triggering. It just felt like a more a curiosity. It just kind of unwound itself. Um, and then it was like the thoughts could still be there, like judgmental thoughts could come, but there was no juice to them. There didn't feel, it was almost like funny that that thought just came and went because I really didn't believe it anymore and believe I didn't feel judged. I didn't feel like I was judging anybody. I felt more like connect connection and compassion and then a thought could be there. And then over time, the thoughts just subsided because they don't have any traction. There's no ident nothing identifying with them. It's identifying with thoughts that keep the thoughts coming. And, um, and you know, essentially that's it. Cause without a thought, can you judge anything? 
like without actually having some kind of thought up here going, I don't like the way this is happening. You can't really judge anything. You can't really resist anything. You There can be a sensation, you know, and it can be quite an intense sensation once you deconstruct this. Uh, but the more you're able to inhabit the sensation, which does not have a story, a sensation doesn't have a story at all. It doesn't recognize mm-hmm. separation. It doesn't recognize self and other. Uh, it can be rather intense though for, for at first. So it can be restless in a sense. You don't want to be in that sensation. You want to get up into your head and turn it into a story that you're comfortable with, like judging a person. Uh, so at first that can be intense, but over time you'll just find that there's just sensations there under underlying any narrative, any any habit. And this is just a habit, just a habit of mind. That's all it is. So okay. start you know start with don't don't act on it. <laughs> um, and next start to look at, well, why is it, why is it, why do I buy into those thoughts at all? Why do I, why does judgmentalism feel like a good default for me, a comfortable default? See where it's rooted, where did it start? What are your beliefs about your own performance or your own um, standards to which you're holding yourself to? And what do you do when you don't meet those standards? Do you judge yourself? Looking at all that, just it'll Mm -hmm. unwind more and more and it'll feel less personal because there's nothing shameful in having this. Everybody has judgmentalism in them. Some people it's their default mode of thinking. You know, it's just the most common thing that comes into their mind. But there are a lot of other fixations that can be prominent in minds too. This this is just one of them. So All right. Thank you both. You're welcome. Okay, another retreat participant, Jennifer Hi, everybody. Hello. Um, it's so nice to see all you beautiful people again. Um, <laughs> nice to see you. Thanks. This is my first time talking on here, so I'm a little nervous, but I am um, always inspired by all you guys' willingness to be vulnerable and share. Um, and this is kind of a, a thought-related question, too, so I think you answered a lot of it with Bob. But um, when I was at the retreat, I think I felt like I identified a lot of my, you know, my doubts and beliefs. Um, and when I came back home, um, <laughs> it's like, I felt like my brain had went into overdrive, right? It was, it was just like constant, constant, constant. And I'm thinking, and I was like, am I thinking more? <laughs> it was just coming left and right, left and right. And I was speaking to someone else who was at the retreat and they're like, well, Jennifer, I don't think you're thinking more you're just realizing you're noticing your thoughts. And I thought, Oh yeah, that's what's happening because every two seconds, it's like, that's a thought, that's a thought, that's a thought, you know? And, but, and I'm thinking it's okay to have these thoughts. Um, but I think sometime last week I was sitting at work and it just, I was just sitting there and I was thinking, this is so freaking exhausting, you know, like just constantly thinking this is a thought this is a thought this is a thought and then I instantly realized that's a thought you know (laughs) and then um I'm not sure what my question is because I mean obviously I'm noticing all the time that I'm thinking and I'm very much identified with these thoughts you know I have been doing that towards the end of your book the the inquiry where you you know you you realize your thought, you clarify it, you, how is it related to being me? And then within like a half a second, I have my next thought and, you know, it's just going on and on and on. So I'm not sure if that's really a question or maybe I'm just sharing, but 
I just realized that I'm not thinking more. I don't think I'm just recognizing it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have a, just a simple reflection and that is you're, you're right on the money. And so when we are in retreat, not only are you disidentifying from thoughts, your mind is actually going, slowing way down. It slows way down. It just does. And the more retreats you do, the more of that becomes obvious, especially when you leave retreat because you leave retreat and you enter a world of like hyper thinking, like everybody is hyper thinking, hyper moving. Everything feels really fast. A lot of times, if you don't notice it, it's, it's definitely the case. And so what happens is your body mind kind of reverts to how, how you were operating before, like the pace of thinking that you were operating before but, and the, but is important, but you've disidentified from thought quite a bit. So now you're, you're actually seeing the thoughts, not so much being completely identified with them, but seeing them as thoughts. And you're like, oh my gosh, where are all these thoughts coming from? That that's great. It's a, that's exactly right. And that shows some disidentification, significant amount of disidentification, including seeing the one that thinks it has to track the thoughts. That's an important belief to get underneath because that is just a thought, but it's a belief that, oh, I have to track the thoughts. I have to do something about it. It's, it's exhausting. Like, well, is it, do you have to do anything or, or are those thoughts just going to come and go anyway? Cause that's what that thoughts do. Um, and so, yeah, you can keep digging into those little subtler, subtler beliefs. You can do it at the end of the book, like the way I described it there, if you want to, that's fine. But like, you're kind of at a place now where you can also just sort of just let those thoughts come and go and just notice the, you can almost like say, abide in the space in which they come and go abide in the space of noticing, because there's a noticing space here that doesn't have to have a thought to self-recognize. doesn't have to have a thought to prove itself is there, right? Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, right? It's like, wow, okay. And so resting in that is fine. It's plenty for most of the time. If you feel like inquiring some, great, especially if you're getting lost in thoughts or something. Um, you can also just orient to the next thought, like with with 100% of your attention, just like, okay, what's the next thought? You know, and you might find all of a sudden there's like almost no thoughts. Like, how did that happen? Because you're orienting toward thought. And what, what the trick of that, it's a kind of a trick that, that happens there. And the trick is, what we don't realize is what makes a lot of thoughts happen often is, is our own reaction to them. And like, you have to almost like hold a distance and see the thought from far away in the mind's like theater. Um, but as you start to orient toward thought, all of a sudden they, they tend to kind of collapse into this more just consciousness. Um, so you can play with all of those and just see what intuitively feels most natural for you to just kind of come to a place of a, a little bit more of a calm body mind, but more importantly, being in a place of alertness and awakened awareness and, and a sort of knowingness without having to define it by thought at all. And that's becoming clearer for you, obviously. Uh, and that's it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Kim um, may have something as well. Yeah, th no, I think um, I don't have much much to add to that at all. I think Angelo really hit the nail on the head there. It's it's really just um, now that you're noticing thoughts more is find the gaps between thoughts, find the th the thoughtless space, and if you can if you can find the um, follow one thought from the beginning to the end of the thought you find a tiny gap between when one thought ends and one thought begins you can stay in that tiny little gap you can stay there that's really all you need to do just finding that thoughtless space that thoughtless gap because i think the more the more you can notice each thought that comes into the mind the more you actually the more you can 
see when a thought arises and when a thought ends. And that's when you can really get between thoughts and stay there. So I think you, you know, you're in a really good, really good place. I don't have much more to add to that. Well, thank you so much. I love all you guys. <laughs> thank you. Nice to see you again. All right. Uh, let's see. Who do we have next? Uh, Michael. Hey, all right. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I have a question about mystery. Um, and that is that I'm, I'm all about it. Um, bit of an experience seeker, a mystery seeker, and perhaps that makes it, um, difficult to actually tap into it. So, um, first I think I'm a bit of a know-it-all. I like to explain things and I get very excited explaining things and making all kinds of connections. Uh, second, I've had some pretty amazing, profound, uh, life experiences just in the relative, you know, being on mountaintops and underwater and that kind of thing. And third, um, I've had some, uh, mystical experiences in the past. <laughs> and so through the process of inquiry, um, although I'm aware that this, uh, uh, I don't know this 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 phenomena or this thing that's always here but not here um, may be subtle and it may not be an experience or uh, a a mystery per se. Um, yeah, some, sometimes it, it just it just seems like very. I could I could sit for hours. I could dial into all types of experiences and thoughts and never really touch on anything particularly mysterious. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. What do you think, Kim? Yeah, I think looking for looking for an experience is also a thought too. Have you seen that one? Yeah. So I guess that the yeah, yeah. I guess when I, if I try to think of what would be outside of experience, there's like unconsciousness and then there's um like single sensation uh what like wh when you experience that single sensation to the point where it's like amplified that it's like an entire universe uh, but i guess i classify that i would call that an experience as well so any experience you're having is is you can call it a thought unless you're dropping into you can drop into the senses and the present moment. So instead of trying to constantly find something out there, notice where you are right now, like what your feet are doing, what your hands are doing, what you can feel just in the local environment right now. So instead of trying to find an experience out there, any, myst any mystical experience will not last. Yeah, they're wonderful. They're nice to have. But they're not long long lasting. They're not sustaining. And really what's here is very simple. It's not mystical. It's not magical. It's it's wonderful. And the mind can be very serene and it can be very 
very still, but it's not mystical. So looking for mystical experiences, you looking for a thought. So really trying to come back to the body and feel where you are and what your hands are doing, what the thoughts are doing mm. is really all you need to be doing. Okay. So um, I, I guess my thought would be if I if I were to do that, um, because I, I do, at least on the surface, I, I do that sort of practice and it takes me to, to some some place um that that the, the the ingredient that then feels like missing is the sense of something grander like the god sense or the sense of uh the flow of energy that things are are connected um like i don't know if i dial into a sensation in my foot it's like okay yeah cool it's there but it's it's not necessarily connected to anything greater and maybe that's just the end of that i shouldn't be looking further yeah looking for experiences and looking is is it is really looking for more thoughts now what what you what you'll find it is and it, it can be very very ordinary feeling into the body it can be very ordinary but then it can also become very alive but it's getting past those expectations of I'm trying to find something. I'm trying to find mm. the next thing to satisfy me. I'm trying to find the next experience. Mm -hmm. Now the real experience comes is when you can drop into the body and feel, you know, it sounds boring. It sounds ordinary. What the hands are doing, what the eyes are doing, what can you hear? What can you feel? That's what becomes alive when you stop seeking external experiences. That's where that's where the magic happens, is in the body. You won't find it out there in another experience yeah. or in a mystical experience, you know? Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank, thanks for that thought. And yeah, there was a comment uh, by Kate seeking versus curiosity. And yeah, I've, I've definitely had in my mind like the link between curiosity and all this. Like sometimes I, uh, I, I'm coming to wonder if like samadhi is just like this ex the state of extreme curiosity, when it's just like curiosity, <laughs> full, full, full volume, so to speak. And uh, yeah, the times where like, I just like, all right, I put three hours into it and I, I kind of give up and the seeking goes away because I'm just tired of it. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, like the floor just got really interesting because <laughs> I just because precisely, yeah, because of that, because I, I, I gave up, stopped seeking. Yeah, exactly. So where do all those thoughts come from? Those seeking thoughts, where do they come from? Can you find it? Mm, yeah, like the sense of more, like the the sense of perfection, the sense of being apart from perfection, like cast out of the Garden of Eden. What happened to all that? Let's get back to it. So what's what's under that? Where does that come from? 
Where does the the idea of what you just said come from? Uh, memories. Yeah. Memories would be a part of it, uh, which I guess like memories and thoughts. Um, yeah, like it's like a, a a reason, like like a reason to live, a reason to experience. Like if things are boring, then uh, so so yeah, like maybe there's a thought that in order to um, in order for life to be worth living, like it ought to be quite exciting and engaging. What do you think would happen if life was exciting all the time, every day, all the time? Well, I'd burn up. You'd burn out, right? Yeah. Now, the ordinariness is what ultimately becomes the most interesting thing. But to your to the thinking mind, to the seeking mind, it's not. It's the most boring thing in the world. But I can tell you that most boring thing in the world can become the most interesting thing in the world. Mm -hmm. But it's getting getting behind the thoughts. Getting behind the I need another experience. It shouldn't be my experience right now isn't good enough. I need to find it in a mystical experience. It's getting behind all yeah. of those thoughts. Cool. All Do right. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, I have to totally back up what Kim said here is like, I think she tuned in immediately to what, what I felt was there is this, everybody likes experiences, like let's say altered states and mystical experiences and just whatever. I think we all are hooked up in a way to enjoy shifts in, shifts in consciousness. We're also hooked up when we're identified with thought to ch to seek that. But I will say some people have it's it's a little bit more of a fixation for them. It's a little more prominent in in their expression, and I pick it up sometimes. And that's kind of what I pick up here. Um, it's not like screaming in my face, but just in the way the question was asked and so forth. Um, and the, the, the idea of like enjoying the idea of mystery, it felt a little bit like an intellectual enjoyment of that idea or a little bit of an intellectual curiosity. And you kind of described that you're a smart guy, you're a uh, clever guy and, and good at describing things and exploring ideas and all that and all that's great. But what I want to say about it is everything Kim said is right on the money. And I will add something that's specific. Well, it's, it's to you, but it's also non-specific. This is to actually a lot of people because it's something I bump into a lot, and that is when I talk about going to the sense fields, specifically in this case, we're talking about the body sense or the, the physical sensations. When I talk about going to the sense fields, I always know through experience, and it, the more experience I have interacting with people, the more I see that this is true, that um, th it, will be, it will be pretty easily discounted by the ego because people will say things like, oh yeah, I can go to the senses. I can, I can just go into my hearing and just, in just, just the sound. And that's, you know, I can do that, but it's the, then what, you know, then where, where's my realization? Where's my awakening? Or it's not that interesting or it gets boring or something like that. And all it really tells me is how quickly they touch in and bounce right into the mind to a judgment. Um, a, a friend of mine had a very, very, very profound shit, deep, deep shift in, in his realization at this last retreat. And he was talking to me and he said, what he real, what he, the, the way it 
came across, one of the important um, aspects of what was realized very directly was he said he finally noticed, and he'd been working at this for a long time, he finally noticed that when there's sound, I wasn't hearing the sound. I was experiencing the reflection in thought of sound. That's what I thought sound yeah. was. And yeah. the moment he heard sound, trust me, he's not chasing any experience anymore. No, he doesn't care about mystical experiences. All that's just dead. <laughs> it's like a fucking graveyard yeah. because of what Kim said. Experiences really are thoughts. Even mystical experiences that can occur with a sort of deep, maybe insight, like a true spiritual insight where you know you touched into something more real than real. But what, what you collect from that, what your mind takes forward from that and puts in time is a thought. So the mystical experience is a thought. Any experience is a thought. It's a reflection already. Does that make sense? So when we talk about the senses, I'll put it another way. I'll give another example I thought was really funny. I was, uh, last retreat I ever went to that wasn't my own was Adi Ashanti's retreat. And at the beginning of the retreat, they were talking about if you're in a room with, with people who are snoring, that, that often at retreats, people will talk about this. Like, what do you do if your roommate's snoring or something? And it just hit me in such a funny way. I thought, man, if, if anyone here actually knew what that sound was, First of all, you wouldn't need to worry about what you're going to do in that moment. So, second of all, you would never need to come to retreat again. You can actually hear that sound. If you, if you actually know what sound is, if you once you actually realize it, not intellectually, not by reading and memorizing the Bahia Sutta, I mean, actually realize it, this is a done deal. You won't ask questions like that anymore. The questions don't come up. The questions about identity and self and thoughts and all this, it's over. It's over because there's so much sort of splendor in this but it's also not a big deal it's not a it's not a dramatic thing it's not you know it's not an experience even it's it's so much more and so much less than that uh and so yeah that's that's what i want to say about the sense fields that they can seem so uninteresting but it's because you've never actually experienced them well you have but for like a sec like a brief second yeah. you know that's it, the mind gets a hold of us so quickly um and when that shifts out of that and I've seen it happen to many, many people. It's very obvious to them and to me. It's like, oh my God, the whole spiritual journey and the way it seemed to be before and played out and all the beliefs they had about it, it's just like gone. Just, just like ice thrown into the fire. So uninteresting all of a sudden. And this becomes very, very compelling in a very different way. So um, so that's the best thing I can, best way I can like summarize what I wanted to say to you. But you know, if you watch this back, listen to what Kim was pointing to because she was she was pointing you to it again and again. Actually, it was really kind of cool to watch. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's yeah, you're 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 you definitely have true curiosity about this, no doubt about it. You have a propensity for it, but there is a lot of in intellectual inter interest as well, bobbing around trying to grab a hold of stuff and you know whatever, and a little seeking around that too. So um, that's just what I sense, but it's okay. It's not uncommon at all in these circles. Just keep orienting to, you know, um, that which cannot be thought about. No thought can touch it. You find it in the sense fields. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Th thank you. Um, You're very welcome. Yeah. Yeah. I've. Uh, I think I've, I have tapped into. I have memories of experiencing sound the way that you describe it. And then the question is like, well, why isn't it just like that all the time? <laughs> and so it's hard to, uh, 
find enough of like a foothold in that mystery to lead myself back to it. And I guess I'll, I'll go back and listen to what, um, yeah, listen to this conversation with, with yeah. myself and you again. And yeah, listen back. and listen to the, the thing you just said again, like, just like watch it, it, the, the mind is so fascinating what it does. It, it, it grabs <laughs> something and it immediately starts like trying to do something with it, either doubting it or trying to get how, okay. Oh, that was great. How can I get back to it next time? How can I remember this? <laughs> so I can think about it later to compare it to myself again, so I can construct another idea about how I'm going to get back to it. And it's just right here. <laughs> it really is right here the whole time, you know, but but it, there's a lot of momentum to the mind. So I don't mean to minimize that. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. Right on, man. Joanna. Hello. Hi. Uh, I think that I just want to show this face again. I don't have any questions. If you have any, any questions or... Um, I don't know any comments. It's I I feel it's different. I don't know energy. The last time, maybe fear. What are you feeling now? perfect just let let all those blocks fall out let all the any block channel just be open and just let it let it move through how it wants to move through and stay right with the sensations of it And Kim, feel free to chime in as well if you have anything.
Is that fear that's come it up was. for you? It was. I know that feeling of fear, it can take your breath away. It can be so overwhelming. But it's okay. You can just let it be there. Sometimes it can come in waves. It can rise up and then it can pass through and, and then it can dissipate. And it's really just letting it letting it do what it needs to do. Fear rolls through the body like waves. And it's just feeling those soft waves rolling through the body. And it's okay. And then the mind wants to, wants to know what is this, what is it about, what is it the fear about? But that's just the mind, right? You can see past that. You can see it's just the mind. Earlier on. It was a fear of uh, being judged, but I just want to share the space or sit in silence. There's no judgment. The judgment is just fear. There is no judgment. There's no one here to judge you. It's just the fear talking and it's okay. The mind. Yeah. It's the mind. Yeah. Oh. You see, this kind of feeling is so visceral. This is what it's about. This is what it's all about. It's feeling emotions, feeling everything that needs to come through oh. to this level. And it's okay. It is okay. Oh. 
this is good work joanna this is it this is what it's oh, all about. you were saying about um your uh, during the retreat don't think about other person and be selfish yeah like if you need um to make a sound or to make a movement that's right this this is great this is for you 100%. So that's the beauty of it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're doing the work in the most direct way you can. Like my Zen teacher used to say, angels could do no more. <laughs> you're doing great. Uh, just trust it. And you, you, you're trusting it. You're, this is actually, this is courage to me. This is courage. Of well, being seen. I haven't yeah. been doing it for 10 well, months. Well, mostly, I yeah. Didn't rise but also, my hand. Well, also just being felt by yourself too, though. But sometimes there is that component of the relational aspect that does help us. But you're you're just embodying it. You're feeling it. You're not reacting to it. You're not running from it. It's uh, it's that surrender, and it it pays pays off. <laughs> you just you just as it is, it's paying off right now. But it it the clarity will deepen with this, and the there's there's a wisdom that comes through the body through physical movement through energetics. There's a wisdom that comes through the body. It will know how to move. It will it will know how to regulate itself in a in a clear way. And it will know most importantly, it'll know how to like synergize with the energy field, essentially. And you're allowing that restructuring to occur. Wonderful. Just keep doing what you're doing. I'm gonna to move to one mother, one more person. So we, yes, we have yes. time. Thank you very more. much. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for sharing space with us. Thank okay, Rula, we have we have a little bit of time, not a lot, but we have some. Mm. Hi, Angelo. Hi, Kim. Hello. <clears throat> How are you? Um, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm definitely struggling. Um, Sorry, I'm uh, mute. Okay. Mm. Hold on once. Is that in your room that's that sound coming from? You know what? I think it's my cat. Sorry. Oh, okay. No, it's fine. I, I just was trying to mute somebody, but I couldn't find anybody. Okay. <laughs> it's okay as long as it's coming he's, from you. <laughs> he's loud. Sorry. There it is. Um I guess uh, I, I don't know if there's a question. I mean, it's it's based in um fear, so like severe, severe anxiety and fear. I mean, that's my state of being since, you know, early childhood, like for the most part, that's the, um, but, uh, it gets triggered, you know, different points. And I'm not really sure what triggers it always. Like I used to think 
because, you know, I've been on medications for anxiety and depression for so long, and then I got off of them recently, and it's been a, a year since I've been off of them. And then after the retreat and um, a death in the family, and I, I don't know, suddenly it's the same, you know, the same um, something it's triggered and it's it's very physiological also like uh you know you can't think properly can't really eat can't and the anxiety is severe in the chest and this feeling of darkness and loneliness and aloneness in the world and things like that and inability to function to have any energy whatsoever to do anything and then the fear of all of that not being able to manage life and and um I guess trying to sit with that and which is also, I mean, if I put a label to it, I would say quite difficult, but sometimes I can sit with it and relax into it. Um, I guess I, I'm confused about the difference between I, I can see that it's psychological as well because it's all like thoughts like coming like worry 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 about like what's going to happen and and if, like I feel unsafe basically there's like a feeling inherent feeling of not being safe in the world and so I, I it's like hard to distinguish between like the maybe the physiological something happening that keeps recurring over and over year after year being triggered and the mind you know labeling it and and perpetuating it and i i just feel like i need to to figure it out but like will this just go on forever until the day that this body dies you know or um it's really it's like no feels like it's no way to live you know but um i don't know if there's anything you could say about it or not uh i don't want to take up too much time i my my inclination is to ask you who do you worry about more in life yourself or others are you are, do you put your own comfort do you put others comfort before your own generally yes but yes uh children job others people pleasing wanting to make sure that others yes for sure but it's absolutely selfish because it reflects back to me yeah. my image of myself i mean that's completely obvious to me yeah yeah it's like a negotiation i'm going to try to make everyone else really comfortable so i can stay comfortable absolutely but, it, but underneath that is the belief that i'm not comfortable in the first place so sometimes we actually have to directly confront the behaviors to 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 keep us from perpetuating the belief because that's what i what feel in everything and everything you just said and i felt it in you before but it's become more obvious to me and everything you yeah. just said underneath it is compassion there there's a selfish aspect to that yes to people pleasing but 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 you're a compassionate human being or you wouldn't be able to do all that anyway to even think in terms of other people it takes some takes some empathic ability and so forth so what i'm really inclined to say is i, I want you to find ways to to soothe yourself you know, to in, in in just physical direct ways and, and worry a little less about what you need to be for others and do for others, knowing that you're already going to do plenty. 
like you're not going to like abandon your family or anything, but <laughs> there's an imbalance. There's like an imbalance here is what I feel. And that there, and until, there you, is. until you directly confront that, I think, I feel this is going to still feel this, this darkness and this sort of vacuousness is going to still be there. You got to address that. That's what I, how do I, I guess, um, the, the odd thing is, is that for the first time in, I mean, there's always resistance inside to doing all these things, but like for the first time, it's like, there's a complete rebellion inside, like to like scary to me, scary. Like, yeah. I don't want to do this mom thing anymore. I've done it for, I don't know how long by myself, a single, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a mom. Anymore. I want to live a life of my own. Like I want to just be responsible myself. I don't want to be responsible for cats. I don't want to be responsible. I don't want responsibility. Like all mm -hmm. these really selfish, like truly like rebelling for everything. And it feels so guilty about feeling it, but at the same time it's there. And it is. It's everybody normal. can feel it. My kids can feel it. They can sense that I'm pulling back. I'm not doing, you know, and yep. um, when you say face, face it, I'm not sure you're starting to already. I mean, th that's unpacking it. And and those feelings that, that every parent, even though most people bury it or afraid to even see it themselves, but every parent is going to have thoughts of like, what would my life be if I didn't have like kids, you know, if I didn't have to do this all day, every day for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, like that's a normal thought for a human mind to produce. And there's going to be times when you're like, what am I doing here? Why is this really worth it? You, you're going to imagine what life would be like if, if you had gone down a different path. That is completely normal stuff for sure. And, and, and to explore, it's important. Um, you're not going to, you know, like completely, like I said, you're not going to abandon your family or you already would have, you're not that kind of person, but, but there may be some shifting in your priorities and your, in your authenticity with how you interact with people, all that stuff can shift a lot. And it'll kind of shift both ways, actually. There'll be maybe less mm -hmm. unnecessary or anxiety-provoked interactions that are less authentic. There may be less of those, but then there may be some more directly, naturally authentic interactions. You know, So there can be, it could kind of go like this. Um, I'm giving you very broad brushstrokes here because you have this is what you have to figure out. I mean, you can try to, you know, but it, there, there's a lot of ways to approach it, of course, but... I think you can sense what I'm saying. And there, that's the adjustment that I feel wants to happen. You know, I, I mean, that authenticity part too, like part of me is just like the people pleasing itself. Sometimes, you know, it's happening still, but sometimes it's like, no, this is the way I really feel. I'm sorry. You know, like mm -hmm. never really done that before, but it's kind of yeah. happening. And at the same time, there's like also plans like, no, uh, okay. I'm not that I'm going to abandon my family, but there are some plans that like, okay, I'm, I'm, they, they don't have to be 25 before I leave and do my own thing. They can be right. 20, you know, and it's like, uh, I don't know what to, yeah. I'm kind find, of juggling. Ways, yeah, totally. And find ways. I mean, you can still do a lot of things within the context of a family when you break the, the, the attachment to stereotypes about what I have to be as a mother, what I have to be as, yeah. what, what if I just break those stereotypes and say, maybe I want to go do this and I've been avoiding it because I have kids. Well, maybe my kids could go do it with me. I don't know. It could be something that a family could do together. Or there are a lot of ways to, the problem is when we, when we have these really unaddressed fixations, we see things in very black and white ways. The world looks very black and white. And when, when we can start to like, let those kind of find the natural equilibrium, um, we might start to experience like, oh, there's actually many shades of possibility here all, all the time.
every moment. Well, I mean, when you say that, I mean, because my my ideas are extreme. Like, I want to leave the country. I want to mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I want to just leave. I want to run away. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's maybe it's possible to take a trip with the kids or something. I mean, there there's just yeah. a lot. Like I said, that's the black and white thinking, though, right? It's like when you repress a lot, then the the response to that is extreme. When you find the the happy medium in there somewhere through courage, through stepping out of your comfort zone, even the comfort zone of suffering, the comfort zone of being anxious all the time and depressed all the time and needing meds all the time, that's a comfort zone. It's not comfortable, but it's a comfort comfortable discomfort or it's a familiar discomfort. Step out of that, you know, and just just try things out. Try, you know, find people who understand what I'm saying and get them to be your accountability partners or let them help you devise things and hold you to changing a little bit the way you do things, you know, um, and the way you communicate even and all of it, you know, and just keep digging into what you're doing. Keep looking at those mm -hmm. hidden motivations because a lot of this stuff is like reaction formation mm -hmm. where we have an extreme, not extreme necessarily, mm -hmm. but a very fixed way of interacting like people pleasing. Mm -hmm. It's a reaction formation to the fear of being rejected is what it is at some, at some level, you know, or right. the fear of whatever. So, so then when we, when we can see the other extreme, like you're talking about with your parenting beliefs and stuff, when you start to see the other extreme, now you're making progress. Now you can kind of find where, of course, neither extreme is right or neither extreme is deeply truthful. There's a, something in the middle that's rather organic, actually. It's organic, it's adaptable, it's fluid, it's not black and white. That's where you want to live because that's where humans in the relative sense feel feel most comfortable. Um, and you know, you're challenging yourself, but you're also not overextending yourself. You're, you're kind, but you're not people pleasing. Um, you, you do things that are important to, to help the kids grow and, uh, mature, but you're also doing things for yourself to continue to stimulate yourself and help yourself grow and mature. And that will be the best model you can give your kids about how to do that, you know? And so there's balances in all of this stuff. That's my sense of it. I hope that's helpful. Very helpful. Thank you so much. Appreciate you're it. You're so welcome. Yeah. Stay in touch and let me know how it's going. And Kim may um, have something for you as well. No, I think I think uh, what Angelo said was perfect. I've got nothing to add to that. Thank you, Kim. Thank you both. Thank you, everyone, so much. I really appreciate it. All your questions, your vulnerability, your honesty, showing up. Um, this is helpful. Everyone who everyone who has these personal questions to ask, it's helpful to a hundred people who are going to watch this. It it always is, and and thank you so much. Um, thank you so much, Kim. You did awesome. You were fabulous. And, um, I hope to have you back. It was really fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me, everyone. Thanks for having me, Angelo. Okay. Everybody stay tuned in the community tab on my page for announcements of double barrels of lives of other announcements, and we'll see y'all soon. Enjoy the rest of your day.